In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode of Conspiracy Unlimited, an author and security consultant discusses two unusual car accidents, one in England on the M6 motorway and one in Paris, which may have paranormal connections. There's clearly some sort of force of nature at hand here. It could be a military experiment that went wrong. It could be that there was some sort of extraterrestrial involvement. But where it gets very murky is where we start talking about bodies disappearing and reappearing. This podcast is brought to you by International Star Registry. Choosing a gift for someone special can be a daunting task. Whether it's a birthday, Mother's Day, Father's Day, anniversary, or any other big day, you want a gift that's unique and perfect for that person who already has everything. International Star Registry can help. They've been providing unique gift ideas for over 25 years. International Star Registry lets you name an actual star in the sky after your special someone. Name a star after someone you care about. They'll remember it forever and never forget your thoughtfulness. The address is getarealstar.com. Getarealstar.com to give someone the gift of a real star in the sky. That address again, getarealstar.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. 
Now, I know I've been on about wildlife and animals a lot lately. Recently, I was talking about killing spiders, and I was also asking for your feedback for the best cat breed to rid properties of mice. Oh, incidentally, I have some data here. I have received to date almost 100 emails with your suggestions. So far, the leader, according to my informal poll, for best mouser is the Maine Coon receiving 26 votes, followed by the English Shorthair with 17, and the Scottish Fold breed with, let's see here, 11. Well, now I have uh, another animal problem to report. I think we have raccoons in the attic. Two nights ago, uh, I woke up at about 4 in the morning, and I was convinced there was an intruder in the house. I turned on the lamp by my bed, and I searched the entire house, found nothing, went back to bed, Woke up again an hour later. Finally figured out the scratching noise was coming from the attic. Same thing happened last night. Well, at least I know what it is. Now I just have to work up the uh, courage to get up in the attic with a flashlight and check it out for myself. Not looking forward to that. I have heard a great way to drive raccoons out of the attic is to put a radio up there and blast loud music. Uh, Or I suppose I could play my podcast. Uh, this episode in particular. Maybe it will scare the little masked intruders so much they'll make a hasty retreat. And we are about to delve into an investigation into two unusual car accidents in England and France that seem to have paranormal elements. In 2009, there was a multi-vehicle pileup on the M6 motorway near Birmingham. And according to witnesses, the accident was preceded by a flash of light and occupants in the front three vehicles allegedly vanished. An audio recording purportedly from a police officer on scene seems to confirm that nobody was found in the front three vehicles. You'll hear that audio momentarily. Another accident with eerily similar details occurred in Paris in March of 2010, when a bright light preempted a crash involving at least two vehicles. Passengers claimed to see the occupants in those vehicles momentarily disappear, then reappear. And then in a bizarre twist, the bodies were taken to a morgue where video surveillance seemed to catch someone injecting these bodies with some type of device. Colin Hall is the author of Fact or Fiction, The Paris M6 Crashes. Colin Hall, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm good, Richard. How are you? Great, thanks. You and I have talked uh, on a number of occasions about the M6 Paris crashes, Uh, but for those who are new to the story, just give us a thumbnail sketch, the who, why, what, where, and when. Well, I came across this a few years ago. Um, I was doing some research on some work I was involved in, um, and I came across a couple of incidents that were reported by a chap by the name of Mark Collins. Uh, one was on the M6 near Birmingham, and one was in Paris. Um, both had similarities in as much as there was reports or alleged reports of bright lights, uh, occupants either disappearing or indeed changing their appearances. Um, and it sort of piqued my interest because in my line of work as a, as an investigator, as a security advisor, you sort of, you tend to look at these things and think, well, what's actually the real story behind what we're reading here? Um, and it sort of snowballed from there, really. All right. So Mark Collins, this was uh, a series of stories that appeared online, correct? 
That's correct, yes. And do we know much about Mark Collins, the alleged reporter? Well, he appears to be some sort of freelance reporter based out of Manchester in England. Um, how he came across the events isn't exactly clear, although there was an interview he did for an American website that claimed, or he claimed that he was, um, or got involved in this via his brother, who was actually at the back of the first crash on the M6. Um, how he got involved in the one in Paris, I don't know. Um, but he seems to have had access to certain facts, as, as he would like to portray them, about these two incidents, both of which were completely out of the ordinary uh, in terms of the context of what happened. All right. So let's talk about what happened. Let's start with the M6 just outside of Birmingham, England. Give us the, the particulars. When did it happen and what happened? Well, we're going back to uh, 2010 when the incident happened on the M6. Um, according to his reports, uh, there was a bright light witnessed by um, several people who were in vehicles behind the vehicles at the front. Um, allegations that the occupants of the vehicles at the front, in fact, disappeared. Um, it then all goes very sketchy because his witnesses and his testaments appear to be from people who don't wish to give their names, but there is conversation that, as I say, occupants disappeared, bright lights were reported. Um, we then cross over to Paris, and we have, again, a very similar situation. We have reports of a bright light, and witnesses this time reporting that the occupants actually changed their appearance. Again, all of this was uncorroborated at the time, um, but there was sufficient enough detail for this to be picked up by many of the conspiracy websites and indeed by sites like the USA Today and the 14 Times. When you said the passenger, the occupants of some of the vehicles appeared to change in appearance, do we have any specifics? What was meant by that? There was one witness statement on one of the reports he wrote where an anonymous witness spoke of some people changing in their appearance after the bright light. But specifically, we don't know how they changed? No, no. Apart from visual appearance, no. No other details were given. All right. Uh, and the, the timing of this crash, this is several months after M6? That's correct, yes. This this happened, I believe, uh, it was the spring of 2011, I think it was. Okay. So the first one is winter 2010, and yep. this one is spring 2011. Yeah. Uh, now, do we have corroborating police reports? Do we know, in fact, that there were car pileups on either uh, either end, the M6 and uh, this this road in Paris, on those specific dates? Um, well, I've been able to corroborate that there was an accident on the M6 in November um, of 2010. Now, coincidentally, that is around about the time of um, the fireworks night over here. So whether the bright light could have been attributed to that or not, I don't know. Um, there was an officer who went by the name of Detective Roger Silverton, I think it was. Um, he appears to come up on a couple of the reports and appears to be somebody who is in and around the cases. Now, whether he was acting on behalf of um, some sort of government agency, I don't know. Um, but it, his name does come up on a couple of occasions. Now, there is a um, a police recording yes. that you were able to uh, access. Yes. Um, 
tell us uh, tell us about that. I'll I'll I'll, I'll play it with your permission. Tell me about the recording, how you uh, were able to access it, and, and what we would hear on that uh, police recording. Well, this this recording, um, I, I accessed it. This was posted online by somebody who was disclosing all sorts of evidence a few years ago. Um, I had to listen to this recording. Now, I have to say, not being um, a traffic police officer, um, I don't know the exact terminology, but the recording, as we'll hear later on, talks about the fact that there were no occupants in the front vehicles. So let's have a listen to this alleged police audio from the M6 crash. Now, that does go some ways to corroborate what the reports that Mark Collins was putting out suggested happened. Um, One thing that interested me or intrigued me was the use of the phrasing RTA, because I was contacted by somebody who who worked with the emergency services, and he felt that RTA was a, a, a phrase that wasn't actually in use, and he doubted the authenticity of this recording. Um... I've done some more investigations. It's very difficult to lock down exactly what terminology is used as and when. Um, and it's 50-50. RTA could be the correct um, terminology. It may not be. Um, but the evidence itself goes some ways to corroborate what Mark Collins was reporting all these years before. What's the context of the term or the acronym RTA? Um, road traffic accident. All right. So it may have been in vogue at one point and then wasn't. I mean, who knows? Sometimes people use vernacular that's uh, antiquated. Um, you know, if that person on the police recording had been at that job for a while, maybe he used to use it. Maybe no one else did, but he still did. Hard to say, as you say. That's not that that doesn't um, uh, discredit or corroborate the story one way or the other, does it? No, it certainly doesn't. I mean, I, I've always said, and I've said this and maintained this all along, um, motive is a big um, driver in anything like this. And to put out that type of recording um, and to put it out for, for whatever reason, you, th- there has to be a motive. And I've struggled and have always struggled until recently, I hasten to add, 
to lock down a motive as to why these bits of evidence would ever surface, apart from to authenticate what was actually being reported by Mark Collins all those years ago. The the people that were in that front vehicle that simply vanished, uh, or at least they weren't in the car when the uh, the highway patrolmen, we would call them here in North America, I don't know what the terminology is in, in Great Britain, uh, I mean, we don't know whether they ran off uh, or whether, in fact, they they vanished the moment uh, the accident occurred, correct? That's correct. Uh, and again, that word motive, you know, you'd have to wonder why um, people in the front of the vehicles uh, or the front vehicles would simply run off. Um, if you've been involved in, a, in an accident of some kind, I don't understand why you'd simply just run out of a car and abandon it particularly on a, on a major motorway, uh, as the M6 is. Wasn't the road uh, uh, and the car on fire? There was talk of that, yes. There was talk of um, a bright light, and also I believe there was talk in that um, clip about some uh, uh, burning marks on the tarmac. Again, you know, <laughs> it's difficult to corroborate because all we have is this recording. But, of course, when you look back at it and then you match it up against the reports that Mark Collins was putting out, you tend to or, or you are able to build a picture of what may or may not have happened on the, on that day. Now, again, the people that are missing, uh, it would stand to reason that the, the, they would have families, friends. They would have reported them as missing. There should be missing persons reported. Uh, that could be tied to that specific date. I mean, surely, unless there's a massive cover-up here, there would be uh, a paper trail, police reports, police files open, cases uh, opened, and so forth. Yes, there, there, would, there would most definitely be an audit trail of some description. Um, there was none. I mean, I I used some of my contacts and some of my influences to see if I could um, sort of penetrate the inner sanctum of this um, this event. And at every single turn, I was stonewalled completely. Um, now, that would point to the potential of there being some form of a cover-up. But as you would say, that that's one hell of a cover-up when you consider that you've got families involved as well and relatives. So either it's something very major and, and there was a serious cover-up, um, you know, or simply it's, we are unable to corroborate those facts, albeit with the police evidence. Or this entire story is a fabrication. Uh, the, the Mark Collins made this up. He, I don't know, was conducting some sort of a, a psyop or just wanted to start an urban legend. And it's amazing how urban legends uh, in the day of the internet, uh, you know, how much easier it is to start those. A uh, hundred years ago, you know, <laughs> you 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 couldn't you couldn't create a legend like this. But I think it's far easier now uh, with the internet. Agreed? Absolutely agreed. And you know what? As you know from our recent correspondence, um, that that is entirely a plausible point of view. You, you know, an urban myth, an urban legend. Here we are, several years later, still discussing it, and no further on. However, the critical point is we're still discussing it, much like, you know, Sasquatch, much like the, the many UFO sightings that have been reported around the world, um, without a huge amount of evidence to substantiate some of these particular events, we're still talking about them. 
Um, and this is very much the case about the events on the M6 and, of course, in Paris. Yes. Let's move to Paris in one moment. I just had one more question. Uh, well, it would be appropriate for either of the incidents, either the M6 or the Paris crash. But uh, the the online you know, forums and so forth, uh, is there chatter uh, um, about these incidents? For example, has anyone come forward online – Either in an anonymous way or, or, uh, you know, full disclosure saying that they witnessed this, that they were involved in the car pileup. Uh, is anything like that? Is anyone like that come forward? No, not at all. Um, the, the chatter that, that I've seen on the forums has been, um, well, it's been very interesting to be fair. And it ranges from this could be an episode of Fringe, um, all the way over to this is a, a massive cover up. Something has happened. And everything in between. Um, so no one out there, as far as I can see, has come forward with a definitive answer suggesting that they were either there uh, or they knew somebody who was there or they knew of a cover-up of some description. So what we have are the uh, the stories being propagated online by this mysterious Mark Collins fellow, and we have this police tape if it is in fact an authentic uh, police tape that's pretty much all we have at this point correct uh, we do yes i mean I, I don't know if you saw a clip I, I was introduced to last year there was um a clip of uh, a suspect interview uh, allegedly in a paris um, cell ah yes yes now uh, again you know <laughs> it's so hard to try and cooperate and piece together this whole thing but I would also refer back to motive. Why on earth would you go out and create that clip, um, you know, w- without any particular end game? And that's always puzzled me is that there's never been a defined end game to what we're seeing and what we're reading. All right. So let's move on to the Paris crash. This again is in the spring of 2011. Similar circumstances, flash of light, car pile up. Uh, now, in this case, what did witnesses uh, claim they saw? Were there were there dead? There were dead bodies in this case, correct? Um, well, the, yeah. I mean, the, the basically, the, the one witness statement that Collins, you know, managed to get apparently was that people changed. Um, people did change their appearance, and there were dead bodies because there was an issue. Uh, I don't know how long afterwards, but there was an issue of body tampering in one of the mortuaries. This was over at the Petit Salpetriere Hospital. Um, now, I've been to that hospital, and I know the location of where the crash happened, and it's not the nearest hospital, which, again, is quite strange because there are two or three hospitals that could have adequately taken those bodies, um, and they were ignored in lieu of this particular hospital. How many bodies were there, allegedly? Uh, four. Four dead bodies. Do we know how many vehicles were involved in this mishap? Uh, two. Just two. Okay. Just the two vehicles. And again, this is preceded by a flash of light. Uh, and then were any, did any, there was, I, I believe from a previous conversation, there were reports that some of the occupants disappeared and then reappeared. That's exactly it. And this is where I say that, that, that there was a, apparently a change of, of people. Okay. This is what is being reported. So you, you've got a scenario where you've got a flash of light that precipitates the action of people disappearing, and then other people reappearing. 
All right, and then uh, four bodies transported to the, the this hospital, not the closest hospital. <laughs> Where have we heard that before? A crash well, in yeah. Paris, and uh, the the, uh, the victims not taken to the nearest hospital. Uh, now, the the body tampering. Uh, so there are four bodies in the mortuary. Someone sees someone. Uh, there's actually videotape of someone in an elevator on a security cam that's supposedly tied to the to this tampering, correct? That's correct. Now, we, we've got that, and we've also got uh, this um, interrogation clip, and it is the same person. Of that, there is absolutely no doubt. All right. So what does the witness or witnesses claim they saw regarding the tampering? Um, this, this is where our... our esteemed character at Silverton gets involved, um, there, there appears to be, and I'm just trying to get the report up now, there appears to be confirmation that three out of the four bodies were tampered with. Um, and there's a strange play in words talking about the fact that the, the bodies that, that well, the one body wasn't tampered with, um, they had a dispute over the what I believe would be the blood samples, I guess, because they were talking about the purity of that person, i.e. The, 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 the blood test, whatever it was that came back. Um, it's not 100% clear, but it sounds like whoever broke into the morgue managed to tamper with three out of four. And the fourth one threw up a whole set of anomalies, not least the fact that they couldn't quite work out how and where exactly this person had come from. But what actually did they see in terms of tampering? Uh, was there some sort of a, a device um, I'm trying to recall our previous conversations as if someone was trying to withdraw some sort of bodily fluid from one of the corpses. That's correct. There was. There's, and in fact, on that video of the interview, um, the device is shown again. There's been two uh, distinct releases of the image of the device. Um, rather interestingly, someone thought it looked like a pregnancy testing kit. It could have been some form of a syringe. I've never seen anything like it, but there was definitely a device that can be tied back to the mortuary and tied back to the suspect. Well, I'm not sure what that's all about. This business of tampering with bodies in a mortuary. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so let's talk about the living for a moment and how we can live longer and healthier lives. Let's talk life extension. Your body deserves the best, but how do you choose the very best nutritional supplements or even know what's in them? Life Extension has been helping people stay healthy for over 35 years. Just like with the foods you eat, the quality, purity, potency of the ingredients in your nutritional supplements really do matter. Life Extension supplements set the gold standard for supporting weight loss, heart, brain, bone, joint, eyes, skin, sexual health, and so much more. Their formulas are based on the latest scientific research and clinically validated dosages. That's one reason why 98% of the customers recommend Life Extension to their friends and family. Every Life Extension product is backed by a total satisfaction guarantee. The bottom line? Life Extension is the brand you can trust with your health. Check out Life Extension products with special savings. Visit SmartClickIdea.com. That's SmartClickIdea.com. SmartClickIdea.com. Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited. Talk, 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 talk.
with Richard Serrett. Colin Hall is with me, the author of Fact or Fiction, The Paris and M6 Crashes. What, if anything else, have you learned since we, we last talked? I know you shared with me uh, someone sent you the uh, the foreword of a, a, a book they're working on. Um, is a, a gentleman by the name of Larry Hobson. Yes. Um, and he sent you some excerpts. So he's looking at writing a book. You've already written, of course, uh, perhaps the uh, the definitive book, Factor Fiction, The Paris and M6 Crashes. Uh, what else have you learned, if anything? Well, th- this is the interesting thing. I, I out of the blue... Um, was contacted via um, Twitter, this at Hobson Press character. Um, and he sent me over a foreword about a writer by the name of um, Zach William Thomas Jameson, very, very extravagant name. Um, and he talks about joining the dots between the two incidents. He then went on to send me a selection of extracts, which he has made public as well. And each one of these extracts, um, it's almost like a miniature disclosure of a particular event. Um, now, quite what this book is going going for, I, I don't know. Um, but it would suggest that there is some form of an endgame going on here. Or whoever is putting this book together has far more information than I would ever have had access to. And that would suggest that this person is either from inside the team, the investigation team, or is from outside and is guessing quite what I don't know. Um, and, and that really has been it because up until last year, when the interview clip came to um, came to prominence, there wasn't really a lot else going on. So can you give me, I haven't seen these excerpts. Uh, I saw the foreword. Uh, of this this book, and I'm sorry, I said that the author was Hobson. It, you received it through Hobson, but the, the the author's name again was what? Uh, Zach William Thomas Jameson. All right. So Zach Jameson's book. Uh, he sent you through Hobson uh, excerpts. Uh, what sort of details? You mentioned it seemed like he had inside knowledge. Can you share any of the details? Well, yeah, I mean, look, I've, I've stored these these clips, and, and I'll give you an idea of one, because I, I actually wrote back to the guy and I said, look, it's okay sending over all these little statements about NASA and all the rest of it, but, you know, this is about what happened on the M6 in Paris. So, you know, show me something about what happened with one of these two events. So I received today um, – this extract, and it says here, it says, that, and this is in speech marks, by the way, and there is some redaction on here, so I don't know whether these are witness testimonies and they want to keep it quiet until they publish it. I, I don't know. But he puts on here, the four bodies we have in the morgue have another thing in common. They all contain levels of succinicoline. That, in my opinion, um, and that of the lab technician would render them incapable of driving. In fact, it is our belief that they would have been either dead or heavily sedated at the time of the crash, given how much they had in their bloodstream. Now, succinicoline is um, it's an anesthetic. Hmm. Um, and this is where the whole sort of tampering thing comes into play. Um, the redactions annoy me because I don't know who's saying this or, or what exactly is being redacted. Um, but he goes on to say that the, the, the amount of succinicoline uh, in the victim's bloodstream would have meant they probably wouldn't have been capable of set, sitting up, let alone driving. Um, now, 
this gives us a little more, if you like, meat on the bones. It gives us a little bit of a more of an idea of the people who are in the vehicles after the bright light. But it also suggests that these people were incapable of driving. Now, I am of the belief, and I'd love any medical person to come on and confirm this, to inject somebody post-mortem is virtually irrelevant. It won't have any effect on the body. Ah, that was my question, whether the tampering was to put that anesthetic into the system. But you're saying post-mortem, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make it. Yes, because it, it, how would it circulate in the blood? Exactly. That, that's exactly the point, is that post-mortem, there's no, um, there's no bodily function to actually carry anything around. All you'd have is... I guess, without sounding horrific, is is a gloop of anaesthetic in a gobule under the skin. Right. Uh, and it wouldn't go anywhere. So, you know, we, this was interesting, and this was the first thing he's actually sent across that is actually relevant to what I was looking into. Sounds um, like it comes, Colin, it sounds like it comes from the autopsy report. Well, that that is exactly what I thought, to be fair. Um, that's exactly what I thought, because... The only way you would actually know about this is exactly from that, so some form of autopsy report. Um, so, yeah, that, that was interesting. How true it is or not, I don't know. Whether we're dealing with somebody who is taking advantage of the situation or not, we don't know. Whether this is, in fact, the end game or not, we won't know. We won't know until this thing actually comes out. Um, but he was very forward. He clearly tracked my book and clearly wanted to get in contact um, and, and needless to say, you know, over the last couple of weeks, reading this stuff has sort of made me think again. It's like, what, what on earth is this? What else uh, is included in these excerpts you've received from uh, the Zachary Jameson? Anything else of interest? Yeah, there was actually. There was there was a lot of talk about false flags and a lot of talk about uh, government cover-ups and how in, in there was, was it protecting the flow of sensitive information to public domain is a major strategy. Um, so possible sightings that are deemed not in the public's interest tend to, shall we say, get sidestepped into non-threatening environments via official channels such as ours. Who who they are, I don't know. Um, and then he goes on to say that the, the, the way we can handle information, cleanse it and repackage it in a way that is better suited to maintain to, to the mainstream media and, and public consumption. In other words, false flags, uh, fake news, and manipulating what we read, which which kind of bows into what this whole thing could be about anyway. Well, that that's the obvious question. What is this whole thing about anyway? And and it almost sounds like the uh, the um, these inner machinations of these people, whoever they are, talking about how to cover this up or how to release this information. It sounds eerily familiar to the UFO disclosure uh, uh, account of how the the lid is being kept on the ET UFO reality. So, is there a connection? Well, there was another clip. I'm just trying to find it here. It, it was He sent four clips to me, four little extracts, and one of them did actually talk about first contact. Um, here we go. He says here, but they covered it up for years because NASA had no idea how to pitch this, this one out. Uh, Reagan was pushing hard for results, and they came back with this. Uh, well, of course, this was the era of Star Wars, the missile defense system, and signals from one of Jupiter's moons, however faint, were not on the agenda, at least not the public agenda. And this is talking about Ganymede, and there was a signal that came out of Ganymede, one of Jupiter's moons. Um, so we, we've either got a very, very clever top-level um, 
you know, uh, the, the insider disclosing information, or you've got someone with a, a wonderfully vivid imagination. Um, but everything that they've sent so far, or all four clips, all point to the same thing about cover-up, uh, manipulation of the media, uh, uh, and also, um, should we say, pulling the wool over the public's eyes. Yeah, I'm tr- I'm grappling with what this perceived alien signal uh, coming from one of Jupiter's moons during the Reagan administration could have to do with these odd uh, crashes in Paris and Birmingham. What, what help me uh, fill in the blanks here? Connect the dots. The, the only the only possible link I can have is that the people who were involved in what happened on the M6 in Paris, uh, as in you know covering it up, if there was a cover up, are the same people who've been skirting around this particular um, area for, for many years. So you know how you get these people that have been sat in in a cold in a cold room. I mean, people like Nick Pope, for example, who've been part of the British UFO. Um, investigation team who's part of the British military um, you only actually know about Nick Pope after he's left the military he's been doing it for years right and of course you know these kind of people when they come out they've got these stories that they tell but these stories date back to years I mean you know talking about people like Zygmunt Adamski for example Alan Godfrey the Todd Morden sightings you know these go back to the 80s but we're only really now if you like, getting more meat on the bones about those particular sightings. So that is to say it may be 30 years before the truth about these uh, come to light from a whistleblower. Absolutely. Or, or is this the process of that? Hmm. You know, is there are two things, and I've always said this, and this is why my book is called Fact or Fiction. Um, it's either fact or it's fiction. And there has to be a motive for either route. If it's factual and it's been covered up, then it's clear it's been covered up. If it's fictional, then there has to be an end game. And there has not been an end game up until potentially this point in time when these clips started to surface. Um, So, In that case, the end game being someone wants to publish a book, uh, maybe the person who created this hoax who knows maybe zachary jameson is a pseudonym for mark collins yep he wants to write a book he wants to uh, a movie deal he wants to make money that that is entirely plausible and you know going back to what i wrote at the time that was one of the the big options was you know was this a setup for something um if it was a setup for something it was brilliant apart from the fact that there was never anything ever executed at that point here we are now, seven, eight years later, the urban myth has sort of buried itself into the subconscious. Um, and we have this scenario where we've got Larry Hobson sort of dancing around the internet, um, proclaiming this author to be the next big thing to be able to join the dots. I, I did a little cursory research into this Zach William Thomas Jameson. There is nothing about him. You could, you know, you could not make up a better name, if you like, for somebody if you want to bury them because there's nothing out there about this particular person. He doesn't exist. Hmm. No previous at all. Uh, I'm not sure how it works in Europe or in England, but do you have a Freedom of, for, a, a freedom of Information Act, what we call a FOIA? Yes, we do. Um, albeit, unlike America, it's probably very, very restricted. Um, declarations under the Freedom of Information Act are 
often redacted. Um, they're the very cagey affairs. Um, you tend to find that information is disclosed 30, 40 years later when, to be fair, nobody really cares. Right. Um, you know, people have passed caring, they've moved on. Well, even if you got a heavily redacted document back from the Birmingham police, the Paris police, a hospital, a medical examiner, at least there's an acknowledgement, even if it's redacted, that there was something. Yeah. The problem is trying to get that acknowledgement and trying to get that document. Um, because whilst there was, without any shadow of a doubt, an incident on the M6 at that particular time, um, there is no report on it to suggest it was in any way, shape, or form serious. Um, there were no, certainly no fatalities, um, and it's almost as if that crash was just closed off and, and done and dusted. So there's very little you can garner from any particular statement alluding to that crash. Paris is just a closed door. I have a theory about Paris, and I've always said this, is the sensitivity of the proximity of this incident to the Eiffel Tower. Oh, continue. Well, you know, the Eiffel Tower is one of the most popular tourist resorts uh, in France, and it doesn't bode well for French tourism to know that there was some sort of an incident of a paranormal nature, but let's you know put that out there, um, near to one of its most famous, um, you know, monuments. Now, it could go both one or two ways. You could bring tourists in or you could drive them away. Um, maybe the decision was taken that it would drive people away and therefore it was closed down and, and no information was ever released. Hmm. Which is why this is quite interesting because now we have, for the first time, an acknowledgement that you know, a, a, a chemical, succinicholine, was, was in the bodies at the time. Um, you, you anticipate getting more excerpts sent to you from this gentleman, Zachary Jameson? Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, he's been very erratic up until now. Clearly, he's got an agenda. Um, that agenda is to put the word out that something is coming out. Um, if you go and look like I've done a bit of research, this thing is slated to come out next month. Um, uh, I doubt I'll be on the invite list. And I doubt I'll be on any form of guest list for anything. Um, so I would imagine it'll be a fairly low key affair. Um, if it does join the dots, I'll be fascinated. Um, I'll be fascinated to see which route it goes down urban myth, or was it some sort of uh, creation of fiction? that spilled over into urban myth, got a little bit out of control, and then they pulled it back a bit. Let's imagine for a moment that this all happened. Uh, would you, and let me ask you to speculate a little bit. Let's uh, run through a possi this possible scenarios that would involve a crash, a flash of light, bodies disappearing, reappearing, uh, bodies being tampered with in a morgue. What what could it be? Well, I, I think if you're going to speculate that there's clearly some sort of force of nature at hand here, um, it, it could be a military experiment that went wrong, for example. Um, that has happened in the past on numerous occasions. Um, it could be that 
there was some sort of um, extraterrestrial involvement. Um, although I'm doubting that to the point that it's so localized. And by that, I mean that you're not talking about something that was witnessed across the city of Paris or, or across Birmingham. These were very localized events witnessed by people on the ground. So it, it could be some form of a military um, exercise that went wrong. Um, the bright light, there are many, many ways that a bright light can be created, not least through lightning or fireworks. Um, but where it gets very murky is where we start talking about bodies disappearing and reappearing. And then it gets even murkier when you read extracts about uh, morgues tampering in, you know, motives for tampering with a body in a morgue. And then the fact that you've got four occupants found in vehicles who are pumped full of succinicoline. Now, that is not ordinary. That is not normal. And and if there is complete testimony to corroborate the fact that they couldn't drive those vehicles, then you've got to ask the question, how on earth did they get into those vehicles in the first place? And what was the connection to the bright light? Dare I float the uh, the scenario of time travel? Uh, you may. Um, <laughs> why not? Well, no, absolutely why not. I mean... It, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of people like Ronald Mallet and, and Michio Kaku. Um, I think they talk a lot of sense. I think, uh, and we've had a lot of articles over here about people coming back from 3,000 years in the future with a Polaroid picture of a city, when clearly they're absolutely, it, it's not true. It can't be true. Um, Mallet struck on something that, that made me think very much in one of his lectures that you can see on YouTube. Uh, and he said, it's entirely possible that, one of my relatives could actually have traveled back in time now um, and could be influencing or interacting in a way um, that we wouldn't know, simply because you're talking about something that's happened in the future. And if you look at Michio Kaku and his multiverse theorem, he lays out very explicitly how it is indeed very possible that time travel um, can and indeed is, is very much um, on the agenda in terms of the physical possibilities with scientific possibilities with the crash anything is possible i mean you know you've got bodies that have allegedly disappeared on in one crash well where did they go and then you've got bodies that have been shall we use the word switched in paris well where did the others go um had they been yanked out of this time and then replaced it's entirely possible it's it's as logical an explanation as anything else that i've looked at over the years What's that old saying? When you eliminate everything else, no matter how seemingly impossible, what remains must be the truth. I think that was Sherlock Holmes, wasn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, I have one more question. Forgive me. Got to ask. Yeah. Colin Hall, you're not Mark Collins or Zachary Jameson, are you? No, I wish I was. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. I, I had to I, ask. I, and and you know what? You're probably not the first person to ask that. I, I, I think I, if I was, I, I'd probably give myself a huge pat on the back. Um, but no, I, I'm not. And you know, it was quite funny because your your email coincided about a week before, and I should ask you the same question. To be fair, <laughs> that's um, true. You should. Well, exactly. From when I started getting these clips, I'm like, you know, how, how on earth is this happening? Um, and then, of course, suddenly you popped up uh, with your email saying, do you fancy coming on? And I thought, you know what? This is so strange because 
um, for the first time in probably 12 months, there is something quite interesting here. Um, and it was quite um, – the timing of it couldn't have been more interesting, put it that way. So, yes, I, I can certainly deny that's not me. Um, I, I, as I said, I may ask the same question of yourself. All right, hand on my heart. I don't have a Bible in close proximity, but if I did, I would place my hand on the Bible. I am not Mark Collins, nor am I Zachary, was it William Thomason Jameson, uh, whoever that gentleman was that's sending you these excerpts. I am not that person. Well, that, that's we've cleared that one up then. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> we're both being played here, perhaps, or... Uh, you know, we're only getting to the uh, the very early stages of unraveling this. It's uh, regardless. It's a it's a tremendous story, and uh, I hope you'll stay on top of it and keep me appraised of uh, any developments. Absolutely, anything I hear, you'll be the first to hear. Colin Hall, and uh, again, fact or fiction? The Paris and M six crashes. How do people get a hold of the book? Um, they can simply go online. I think it's online at Comicsology and download it there for for not a lot of money. To be fair. Excellent. All right. Thank you again, Colin. All the best. Thanks, Richard. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Paris and M6 crashes. This story is a real head-scratcher for sure. All right, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. But before that, hey, if you're like me, staying on track with New Year's resolutions like losing weight can be a real uphill battle. Unfortunately, the commitment to lose weight often fades. Many people simply give up in the first 90 days. So the key is having the right mindset. Getting thin and staying that way lies in our thought processes. And hypnotherapy can make all the difference. Now, clinical hypnotherapist Dr. Steve G. Jones has created a set of five audio hypnotic sessions that apply the power of hypnosis to reprogram the mind and replace bad habits with vibrant, positive new habits and help you achieve natural and long-lasting weight loss. Weight loss hypnotherapy really works, and it's available now at a special discount. Isn't it time to lose those extra pounds? Check out weight loss hypnotherapy right now at smartclicksavings.com. That's smartclicksavings.com. Coming up on the next Conspiracy Unlimited, the Reagan babe, political commentator, blogger, Megan Barth, will discuss the Parkland High School massacre, gun control, and solutions to keep our students and schools safe. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.